Good morning. Welcome to Three Rivers Community Church. If you're a guest, again, we say thank you. We're very glad you're here. Today's a special day. Uh, we've got guests here. So a ministry fair to get us prepared uh, for the work that is taking place in, uh, in, the, in the home. And, uh, man, all kinds of good things are taking place. Adam, would you hit those lights right there for me? That would be awesome. I feel like that. Ah, I can see you. I feel better about that. That wigs me out. I don't like being in the dark. I don't like being on the stage. I don't like any of that mess, man. I just kind of stay down here. If I'd sit on a chair if we had it. So you put me in the dark with the spotlight. It's like, hey. So I'm relaxed now. Um, so welcome. Very glad you're here today. And so, man, if you're in any way interested in, in uh, sticking out uh, for a few minutes afterward and learning how you can be part of the home and uh, of global impact and uh, and this in this home, uh, this foster home that uh, the Lord has graced us with. And man, just so much we could share. Uh, just some of us who had the history and actually constructing that home for the purpose for which now we're going to be using it. And I'm fired up about that. And I'll tell you a good little piece of information. Um, we share with you uh, the information about it. But this week, uh, the Lord has graced this church with abundant resources financially. We're just, you guys give. And that's awesome. And if we need it, God's supplied for it. Um, but this week, just an illustration of how God supplies the mission. We had an anonymous donor give us $40,000 to offset the cost of purchasing the home. So, can we give the Lord some praise for that? How cool is that, right? Um, and so... The resources are in the harvest. Through all church planner training and all that stuff 13 plus years ago, and we were thinking about coming back here, coming back to Rome and starting this church, one of the things that Bob continued to drill into his boys uh, in Keller, Texas, is that the resources are always in the harvest. God always graces the work of the gospel with resources. And I always struggle when churches talk about not having the resources. You've either moved ahead of God or in spite of God. And are not doing the purposes of God. But if you're doing the purpose of God, God never... I mean, it's, just, it's in the manual. God never fails to supply for His work. And so, once again, uh, touchdown Jesus. And so, this is going to require this body and, and the town to be involved in it. And so, opportunities for you afterward. Check it out. Um, we had some one of our teachers sick this morning, so we don't have one of our radical kids classes. And and so, mamas, if you man, you know you're cool. We 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 want your kids to be in here. But if you feel uncomfortable, there's a room here for you. So please feel free to use that. No pressure. Just want you to know there's a resource available for you. If you, I know that mama pressure. I got three boys, man, and and you know it's rough raising babies in church, mama. So we get that. So you just relax. It's okay. All right. Babies make noise, and it's all good. Okay. And if you have a problem with it, come see me. Uh, if you have a problem with that mom and her baby, come see me, and you won't when you leave, okay? So it's all good. So as a husband of a mama, we know what those Sunday afternoons are like, unpacking all the emotional trauma. So mama, you relax. Anybody else got a problem, we'll jack them up, and they'll be better next week, okay? So it's all good. Mamas, you have a friend in me, all right? Uh, so we're good. Glad you're here today. Enough of that trash. Let's jump in. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. As we've been studying through the book of Ephesians, um, I, I want to set the stage for the passage today because some of us, not, not all of our raisings were in ivory towers. Okay? 
And, and, and so it, it can be easy to hear some of potentially what you hear today from an ivory tower experience. And so let me just put this caveat and, and it's context, right? If you've been here through the study of the book of Ephesians, this, you're going to do like, no, duh, we get this. You've been saying this like all year. You've been studying Ephesians now for, for seven years. And so you get this, but I want to say it again. I'm going to drive it home because repetition is key to learning. Inside the context of this passage here, we've learned through the first three chapters of the glories of being in Christ. The glories of being in Jesus. Through the powerful working of the gospel, the elective work of God to choose a people for Himself before the foundation of the world in Christ, that they might be adopted as sons from all nations and be given wisdom and insight into the plan of God to bring all things underneath the headship of Jesus, who is the head of the church. And in Him, He's brought together Jew and Gentile in one body. So there's unity in the body globally from peoples, from all nations, because we are kin and the blood in our veins is Holy Spirit. So we're one body, one family, many nations. And this glorious, mysterious work of the gospel has implications. So from chapter 4 on, Paul's unpacking those implications. And we've looked at those and we've been studying those. What it means to walk worthy of this mysterious work of the gospel. To make one body from many nations. And so he's been teaching us how to walk worthy in that glorious calling of being unified in Christ. This week, we're continuing... The home, because last week, husbands and wives. This this week, we're seeing children and fathers. And keep in mind, this is to be the ethic inside the community of the kingdom. This is how we are to operate in the community of the kingdom. This does not mean that some of us don't have to operate outside of the kingdom in less than ideal circumstances. Okay? So Paul doesn't address, if you got a non-Christian parent who's a moron, what do I do with them? That's not what he's addressing here. And so if you're looking at my notes, I kind of say a few things about that along the way, but I, I chose not to elaborate on that because that's not what Paul's talking about. And I don't want to add to the text. Jesus might get me. I just want to share with you the text, okay? This is the ethic of the community of the kingdom. So as, as, as children of the kingdom, right? Right? If you're here and you're a kid, and, and all of us are kids, some of us have living parents, some of us don't. My, both my parents are not living. And so some of us don't have parents that we can apply this to. But all of us here are children. And our parents inside the community of the kingdom, if everything is, is here like this, this is how we're supposed to be. Okay? Now, if you need some help in how to apply a Christian worldview to a non-Christian parent, we can talk about that. But that's not what Paul's addressing in this passage. Does that make sense? So I recognize there are good questions there, but we're not going to spend time hitting that or we'd be here for two hours. And we could do that, but we have a ministry fair. And I want to be aware of our time. But how do we walk worthy in the family? Well, today we're going to look at children, children obeying and honoring, and fathers instructing in the faith. Children obey and honor. Fathers instruct in the faith. 
Here's our passage, Ephesians 6, 1-4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And if you're a parent and your children are sitting in the room, you're pinching them. You're listening to me. Better listen to me. I've got three boys. I get it. i got one that receives regular beatings. Some of them just, just calls. He ain't done nothing wrong, but I know it's coming. So it's just, this is, in case I don't see you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 1-4. So the first group of people we need to address is children. Children, it's all of us inside the kingdom. This is the ethic of the kingdom, the ethic of the home inside the community of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is we are to obey and honor our parents. Obey and honor our parents. This passage is quoted from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Ten commandments. And here's Exodus twenty twelve. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord, I'm sorry, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I don't know if you noticed or not, but Paul's quotation of Exodus 20.12 is slightly different. He says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. In Exodus 20.12 it is that it may go well with you that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The slight distinction in the original text and the quotation from Ephesians 6, 2-3 is this. Paul's looking at this text with gospel eyes. And he's bringing a gospel interpretation to this gospel-saturated commandment. Land, earth... The Hebrew word Adama, land, earth, all these words used to describe where the children would long dwell, follow me here, if they honor their father and their mother. In Exodus, what land is he referring to? The promised land. Well, Paul's not referring to the promised land in Ephesians. He's just simply saying the land, live long in the land. For Exodus 20.12, the implication is that they would live long in the promised land that was to be for the global advance of the gospel to make the people of Abraham from all nations. And so Moses is writing from the first portions of the restoration of all things begun. For Ephesians 6, the implication is that the children would dwell long on the earth, the land, as offspring of Abraham's faith because the earth... Remember the Beatitudes? Is our inheritance. Paul is simply applying a full scope and the full scope of the restoration of all things as he is and we are living in those last days looking forward to the restoration of all things. So the kingdom of heaven isn't up in the sky somewhere on a cloud. It is the restored earth, no sin, face-to-face communion with the triune God, Sin completely obliterated. 
And so he's saying now, for those of you inside the community of the kingdom, you honor your father and your mother, and remember, obey them, because it's the first commandment with a promise. You live long in the land. What land? The eternal kingdom of heaven. The point, and, and here's why I'm coming, notice that's the last part of the first part of this passage. The reason is, the point of speaking to the latter half of the passage first, is to see the implication for those children who do not honor and do not obey. You see, what's at stake, children, is the kingdom of heaven. The commandment doesn't go away. Jesus didn't say, okay, I've come, and now throw the Old Testament away. No, I've come to fulfill the law, and not a single stroke of the pen is going away. It's all going to be fulfilled. So hear this, the gospel doesn't allow me as a child in the kingdom to disrespect and disobey my parents and it's going to be okay. What's at stake, children, is the kingdom of heaven. The promise is for those who do obey and honor. And those who do obey and honor will be in the eternal kingdom. The implication for those who don't obey and honor is that they won't be in the eternal kingdom. Why is that? Why is that? Well, we looked at this last week. Because the divine order set up in the home is a reflection of the divine order set up in the Trinity. And if you need to go back and hear next week, it's all on the interwebs and you can go do that. We discovered this truth last week, so please, if you need to go review that, go do it. To rebel against the authority set up over us as children is to rebel against God. To live in rebellion against God is to not be a Christian and to not enter the eternal kingdom of heaven. So the stakes are high. As a parent, I have to instruct my boys in this. You're not rebelling against me. Understand it. You, you might hide it from me. But I always tell them I have an all-seeing eye. So I don't have hair, it can't be hiding under my hair. But I know all things. And so, I don't let them know that I still don't. When Gabriel's here, he knows, he's old enough. You hide it from him, I'll kill you. So, but you can't hide rebellion from God. And you rebel against your parents. You're rebelling against the authority God has placed over you because He's a God of authority. Jesus dwells in submission to the Father. The Spirit dwells in submission to the Son. And likewise, we, as a household, imaging Trinity inside the community of the kingdom, are to live like that. So therefore, children are to honor and obey like Jesus honors and obeys the Father. So to fail to honor and obey my parents is to rebel against God who established that kingdom authority. So children, students, don't buy the lie that it's normal to be rebellious at any point in your life. It's become normative to just assume when you hit 13, you turn into a moron. And we joke about it, like when they turn 13, you just put the... Close the door, lock it, and make a hole, slide some food in. Don't let them out if they turn 21. No, that's become the assumption. 
that you hit you hit this phase and you lose your mind, and that's just the way it's supposed to be. Now I think it's because the expectation is, well, that's okay. I'm I'm a Christian, so it's all right. I can just be rebellious. No, you can't. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you're allowed a mulligan called teenagehood. You get to hit it again. If you don't play golf, you're like, what does that mean? It's like you get to hit your tee shot again, right? Because you hit it in the woods. No. There's no mulligan on obeying God. Listen, students. It is not normative to rebel against your parents. It may be normative in the kingdom of darkness. In the kingdom of Jesus Christ, it is not normative. It is not how it's supposed to be. Particularly if we have Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us who is submissive to Jesus, then we will, because He dwells in us, be submissive to Jesus. Who is submissive to the Father. And in that triune reality, we will be submissive to our kingdom parents. Because that's God's order. Don't buy the lie that it's normal to just be rebellious. That's a satanic lie. Submission to godly parental authority is evidence of a transformed heart. Obey your parents. This is simple, yet super difficult when fighting sin. Because the kingdom of darkness fights against you. Everything you read, everything you hear, the air you breathe, the culture you're part of tells you to rebel. Students make war on that lie. Again, this is not a command to submit to the evil one. This is kingdom parents and the kingdom of Jesus Christ inside the community of the kingdom of the church. Children, obey and honor your parents. You don't have an option. To obey is to acknowledge God's authority over you. There's no parent in this room wants our kid to go to prison. So we properly train them so they don't. Students, listen. We as parents are often full of mistakes. I wish, I wish I knew how to do this on the front end right every time. And it's trial and error as a parent. However, our intentions in the kingdom is not for destruction, but for your salvation. And if God is at work in authority, submit to and obey. It's good. Obey the first time. That's what we tell. I feel, when I was writing this, I was like, I feel like I'm talking to my children. Hope you don't feel like I'm talking to you as a child, but it's, it's, it's godly wisdom. Obey the first time. Obey with a good heart. Listen to Jesus. He addresses this in Matthew 21, 28 to 32. And he's, there's kingdom intention here. Jesus says, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. The Buford Herald would have been on me like a duck on a June bug. That would have been a bad day. I will not, sir. Boom. Yes, sir. We're good. He answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. you got two guys here 
One eventually obeys. We didn't obey right. One looked like he was obeying, but his heart was evil. Hey, listen, don't be like either one. Obey the first time, obey with a good heart. Trusting that you're submitting to a good father who loves you and is working through authority for your good. Honor your parents. Honor is a unique thing in our culture, isn't it? We know right and wrong. We get right and wrong. There's a sense of right and wrong. We live in a, 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 a law-driven culture. We don't live in a culture of honor and shame. Older generations are much more honor-driven than we younger generations are. Honor, shame. Honor means esteem. It means reverence. It means to bestow special marks of honor, to fix value to. My kids are required to go to cotillion because I didn't have to, and I should have because I'm still like miserable when it comes to actually honoring. And, and there's a good, I know it's, by the way, who, if anybody here is in charge of cotillion, can y'all do that not on, in the fall during football season? Because like the Falcons are on when cotillion's on. I'm like, mm, I know this is sin. So let's do that a little bit. Anyway, one of the things my boy comes home saying, he talks about when a lady comes in, how do you show honor? You stand. Right? Right? It is saying you're of value. And so I'm going to display your value by standing. And that is an act of honor. To esteem, to reverence, to bestow a special mark of honor on. Fixing a value to. When I was coming up, it was more in vogue to ridicule one's parents and reject them through the teen years. This is an unfortunate byproduct I'm going to chap some hides here, and I know it. You've heard it. If you've been at Three Rivers long enough, this won't chap you. Or if it did, you're over it. But you need to repent if you don't believe this. It's true. This is an unfortunate byproduct of a fake level of development built in the 1950s called adolescence. If you don't know the history of adolescent psychology, go back to the 1950s, post-World War II. Actually, in my footnote here, I gave you a book to go read called The Myth of Adolescence by David Black. By the way, the concept of adolescence is not a global idea. It's a uniquely American Western idea. Post-World War II, both parents working, latchkey kid mentality. Kid was left to the ethic of the jungle, not the strong raising and instruction. You got a generation that went crazy, and all of a sudden, oh, that's just because they're teenagers. Well, it's not, because they didn't have any instruction. They allowed that like a moron. Ethic of the jungle. It's a sin. It's the curse. This rebellion against God. And this culture of, this myth, fake culture of adolescence is simply a made up stage of life to justify the delay of responsibility and justify rebellion as normative. I teach students. I'm not ignorant of this. I teach seventh grade boys. And you know what my seventh grade boys, that they stink. They're getting an award on awards night and the whole class is called the beef and cheese award because they smell horrible. But you know what my boys act like? Men. Because I expect them to. Sit in that seat. Do what you're told. Do it with a smile on your face. Even if the heart's frowning, you better put a smile on that face. Boy, you'll be doing burpees till you puke. Is there? They're expected to do what's right. They're expected to read. They're expected to study. They're expected to engage. And they do. Why? Because they can. They can. 
I mean, I've been in another country, the country we work in. I've been shot at by kids that age with Kalashnikov rifles. Don't tell me they can't. They can. And they're expected to there for survival. The problem here is we just allow them to be rebellious and call it, well, adolescence. No, it's called rebellion. Children, it's sin. We honor our parents. We respect them in the community of the kingdom. Honor your father and your mother. Obey them. It's right. As a matter of fact, what does Paul say? He closes verse 1 by saying, comma, this is the purpose clause. I love, Paul just, the Bible just does this to us. Obey, listen to this, this is crazy. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, comma, for this is right. Why? Because it's right. He didn't go into long psychological explanation. It's right. Here's Paul's worldview. It's the, cre- it's the restoration of the created order and salvation. It's right because this is the coming kingdom. This is what it's going to be in the eternal kingdom. This is the way it was before the fall. Right now it's all broke. Christ is restored and the kingdom is coming under His headship. And when He returns and fully establishes the kingdom, this is the way it's going to be. It's right. That's the kingdom. So do it. Sometimes we get in this trap. I've got to give you a five-point explanation. Sometimes the Bible says it's the right thing to do. Do it. And sometimes we're just too, well, emotionally weak. To just do it because it's right. Honor your father and your mother and obey them. But fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, the instruction of the faith is absolutely necessary. This is not a neglect of the mother and her role in the daily execution of taming the household. However, Proverbs 31 says nothing about the mother being the primary instructor of the faith. Of course, moms have a place in the instruction of the faith, but it's not as the primary instructor. Deuteronomy 6, 4-9 is for all of Israel. Therefore, all of the community of the kingdom. So don't be mistaken in thinking mothers have no role. Their role is to be in agreement with and support and massage deeper the instruction coming from the Father. We looked at this last week. Christ, the church, father, mother. The primary instruction, dads, future dads, is to come from us. Fathers, if you're not the primary doctrinal instructor in your home, then you must become the primary doctrinal instructor in your home. Real simple. Blow your mind. You ready? Pick up your Bible. Read it. Teach it. Don't need a degree for that. Don't need a special class for that. We can and we will teach you classes. You show up here enough, you will get discipled. You will have plenty to take home and drive back in to your children. But fathers, don't let the excuse be, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have a theology degree. Neither did Moses. Neither did David. Heck, 
neither did Peter, James, or John. They knew the Word, they knew Jesus, and they taught. Fathers, it is our job to be the primary doctrinal instructor in our home. But what's interesting here, there's a dual command. There are two commands here. And one is in the negative, and one is in the positive. Listen to it. They're, they're in the imperative. So it's fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That, that's the negative command. And then in the positive, comma, but, and the little word but there introduces the contrast, and it's the positive, but do bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So let's start with the negative command. Do not provoke. Do not provoke your children to anger. It's a compound word. Um, and I'm going to pronounce the word because it's kind of a strange pronunciation, and I may spit on my iPad, and that'd be weird. But the first word, and the compound word, means unto, and it implies movement toward. Okay? The second word of this compound word means to irritate or to anger, bitterness and gall. So the idea is moving your children through whatever it is you're doing to irritation or anger or bitterness. As opposed to the positive instruction of disciplining them and instructing them in Christ. What's interesting here is the contrast of provoking children to anger or bitterness with discipline and instruction in Christ. You catch the contrast? You understand what's interesting? That is provoking them to anger being contrasted with what Paul states in the positive and he states discipline and instruction as positive. Now that's weird to the kingdom of darkness, isn't it? That's weird to a culture that's not the kingdom of Christ. Just to try to make this clear, what happens? I asked this question. Let's just try to unpack this for just a second. We're good, doing good on time. I'm going to finish earlier than normal. That's pretty good. I did that on purpose. You should be impressed. What happens, unless I find a good rabbit trail to take. Eh, we'll just trust the Lord. What happens... <laughs> If proper discipline and instruction, what happens if proper, and if, you're, if you look at my notes online, I, I bolded, italicized, and underlined the word proper. Because we mess up all the time. Okay? And my messing up can be provocative to anger because I sinned. Okay? And that's on me. Make sense? But what happens if proper discipline and instruction seems to be making them angry or bitter? Do, do we just neglect the proper instruction so that there's so I don't push them away? There's a nuance here to provoking to anger we need to explore. Follow me here. Could it be that non-biblical discipline and instruction is actually provocation to anger and bitterness? Say it another way. Could it be that non-biblical instruction although it may produce peaceful air in the house, may actually be doing what you think it's not doing, that is pushing them to eternal anger and bitterness? In other words, could it be that if we don't properly instill kingdom disciplines and instruction that we're actually doing the opposite of what we think we're doing? Could it be that the passive action 
of not instilling the disciplines of walking with Jesus and the instruction of the truths of Scripture is actually an active provocation to unbelieving anger and bitterness? That's a loaded statement. Let me say it again. Could it be that the passive action of not instilling proper biblical disciplines and instruction of walking with Jesus, could the passive action of not doing that actually be an active provocation to bitterness and anger? Yes, Yes, ma'am. I agree. Well, we've got to keep in mind here, the end result isn't necessarily... Peaceful air in my house. The end is that my children are in the kingdom. And if that means I as a parent have to shoulder the heavy load of sleepless nights and loud conversations so that my child gets into the kingdom, am I willing to do that? Because... Jesus said, this is the way. It's narrow. It's hard. And few find it. It's broad and easy leading to destruction. And many enter through it. Could it be that it's better to walk down the hard road for the eternal good than take the easy road for the eternal bad? I'll give you an example because it's just an easy one. to. Because this was me as a kid. I hated this. I, I said, joke, I had a drug problem. Growing up, and it kind of did, but I don't mean it that way. Um, I was drugged to church, and I hated it. Hated it. Hated it. Despised it. It was boring. The guy that talked was no good, and, and I just hated it. And I got to, when it wasn't my father, and I, I don't want to pack my story because it turned to counseling session. So you don't say like me, you don't like going to church. So rather than make them go and make them angry by making them go, could it be that I'm actually feeding the rebellion that will result in more of what is truly producing the anger and rebellion? Because it's not church making them angry. It's sin. My problem was sin. My problem is an unregenerate heart. It's sin and rebellion And rather than give in to sin and rebellion, we engage in rooting it out. And that might be unpleasant for a season. Or two. Or ten. Or twenty. Here's an illustration for you. You always know I default to a military illustration. Drill instructors at Paris Island get boys every day who are angry with them for screaming at them. Calling them names. Waking them at 3 a.m. to do PT. And so, so much more. But it's really not anger at the drill instructor. It's not anger at the DI. It's laziness and a lack of discipline producing the anger because he doesn't understand the rigors of combat. So when that Marine is fully trained, he loves his DI because his DI's instruction will save his life when they're downrange. And that Marine will look back fondly on his DI for preparing him for war. So parents, it might very well be that those years are training. And sometimes training isn't pleasant. 
So as parents, and I've been preaching this to myself, okay? I, I get this. Nobody likes a peaceful afternoon more than me. Nobody likes a lack of having to get after my kids more than me. So don't, Jolly, do not move your children to what is actually producing the rebellion by giving in to the rebellion because of some slight pushback. Don't provoke them to anger by letting the rebellion win. The problem is an unregenerate heart. If the rebellion wins, then we provoke them to anger passively by letting sin win. Be aware. Be prepared to fight the good fight for the faith of our children in the community of the kingdom. Now the positive. Bring them up. Don't provoke them to anger. But do bring them up. Bring up means to nourish, to nurture, to train, to educate. That's it. Feed them. The positive command is to nourish, to nurture, to train, to feed, to educate our children. This is the ethic of the community of the kingdom. Is we are constant. This is why we do radical kids. And this is why we engage in multiple people engaging the life of our children. Because they were a community of the kingdom. We're not one family of the kingdom. We're a bunch of families together doing life together. Therefore, each family contributing a portion to each other as part of the community is a vital part of the community of the kingdom. And so we feed them, we nourish them on the truth. We nurture, we educate. They do Old Testament, they do New Testament. And by the time they get through Radical Kids, they'll have two rounds of Old New Testament survey for little ones. So we're to train, we're to educate, we're to nourish the soul for the kingdom. In other words, we're to pour into them what grows citizens of the kingdom. But what are we to nourish them with? Well, he tells us here. But bring them up in. Here's what here, here's the, the end signifies how you're to bring them up. The discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's interesting to note that discipline and instruction are called nourishing. Did you notice that? Discipline and instruction are called nourishing. Food. To withhold discipline and instruction... Is to starve my child from soul-nourishing truth. The reason we find this interesting is that discipline and instruction are kingdom words of the restoration. And when you use kingdom words in non-kingdom settings, they take on a negative tone. Have you ever noticed that? When you say that kind of stuff in the kingdom of darkness, we get called names, right? Right? When you state true things in the kingdom of darkness, we get bad titles, don't we? Right? So if you notice when you say things that are light in dark places, the light sticks out. You're like, yeah, I think I'll put my light out. Don't want to stick out. But discipline and instruction are called nourishing. And the reason I find this interesting is because these are kingdom words. They're positive words. They're not negative words. The word discipline literally means to instruct means to instruct. The word has evolved to mean chastening because all effectual instruction for the sinful children of men includes and implies sometimes chastening or correction. But the word discipline means to instruct. Listen, guys. The disciplines of the faith must be taught to our children. 
And I find teaching in this school, there's a lousy job of that going on. I see more kids with video in front of their face and earbuds in their ear and they have no clue how to listen. They can't, they literally cannot hear because it's not entertainment. One of the disciplines of the faith is to sit before the Lord quietly until He speaks to you. How can we hear the still, the Elijah moment of the still small voice when all I have going on in my soul is YouTube? I love YouTube. Please don't hear a rejection of YouTube. There are great things to watch on YouTube. There's just also this beautiful discipline of putting it down and sitting quietly and learning to listen. Listen, dads, we have to teach our kids how to be quiet. My dad used to say it, your, your mouth's in high gear and your brain's in neutral. That's exactly the problem. Is often our kids, their senses are in high gear and their soul's in neutral. There's no movement toward the kingdom because they're just entertained. And you know why? Because we don't want them to bug me anymore. So leave me alone. Watch your video. Listen to your music. But don't mess with me. Listen, guys. We have to teach them the disciplines by practicing them. Dads, learn to be quiet. Learn to sit before the Lord in silence. They won't read their Bibles unless they get up in the morning and see you reading yours. I've made it. I don't do a lot well. I'm pretty terrible at most everything I put my hands on. However, one thing I got down is I read my Bible because it is my life. And it's selfish. I'm not going to lie to you. The selfish reason I read my Bible is because I have life out of this thing. I come to life when I open its pages and read. And if I don't read it, I'm going to pass away. So it's very selfish. Don't hear super spirituality. It's life for me. And if they don't see that in you, they won't do it. Teach them the discipline of reading their Bibles. By, just let them see you do it. And not because you're putting on a show, but truly, truly know that the Word of God is life. And then when God speaks, when you read the Bible, you're reading the words of God. And is that really more interesting? Than Fox News or CNN? I hope so. We must nourish their souls with the disciplines. Instruct them in the disciplines. And there's a whole list. Richard Foster. Just go Google Richard Foster. Buy one of the two books that comes up and read it. And go, go do it. Full permission. Some of that stuff, you can probably find a PDF version of Richard Foster's books now and download it for free. Go practice those disciplines, dads. Let's teach them to our children. Instruction to admonish, to warn. This word, instruction, is a word that means any word of encouragement or reproof that leads to correct behavior. This is that if you do this, then kind of teaching. Don't do this because. Taught, uh, my kids, we love weapons, lots of weapons, knives, guns. And they have make-believe weapons. They're good with sticks that, that make as swords. And, but there was one of my particular children who was not allowed to have a sharp blade. And the reason is because we taught him, when you have a non-locking or blade, um, or a non-fixed blade, you should never stab it into something. 
So he has a bear, a beloved bear. His name's Bomber. It's given to him by his aunt. And bought in Brooklyn, New York, because she lived in, in, in Brooklyn. And she, uh, she bought him this, this bear and, uh, from Brooklyn and, and named it Bomber. Brooklyn's Bomber. He gets some Bomber. And so since he was wee little, he loves Bomber. And he had this little play wooden guitar that was all broken. He thought, Bomber needs a bed like I need a bed. So he got this bright idea that if he could cut the face off of this guitar and put some padding down in there, Bomber could have a bed. So here's what he starts to do. If you do this, then this is going to happen. That's the instruction, right? We talk about consequences, instructing them. Don't do this because. Do this because. So don't stab anything with a non-fixed blade. That's the instruction, okay? So what he proceeds to do is take a non-fixed blade. Boom! Blade folds back, severs his pinky. Hanging by the nerves and the skin. (laughs) It's bad. And I don't like blood. It's bad. So we go to the doctor and very long story short, it gets sewed back on. Great work. Thank God for good medicine. If you do this, then this is what's going to happen. Listen, listen, guys, we've got to make sure our kids know actions and consequences. They need to know that there are consequences to actions. Sometimes that means no. Sometimes it means yes. And I would say this. This is intensely theocentric. It's not just pragmatic. There are pragmatic instructions, but it is intensely theocentric here in the kingdom. Our instruction is firmly rooted in the meta-narrative of the gospel. And our reasons for doing this lies in the character of God, not merely cause and effect. If you rebel against your parents, you are setting yourself up for future failure. Therefore, don't rebel against your parents. Why? Because we rebel against our parents, we rebel against God. Don't do that. I'm not going to have time to go through this, but I put it in my notes here. A good way to do this, here you go. It is to instruct them in right and wrong, to warn them of the consequences of what's not right. Here's a good way to do this. Go to the Ten Commandments, list them out, and filter them through the gospel. No gods. Why, dads? Why no other gods? Because there are none. The Bible calls them demons. We don't worship demons. There's a spiritual war, son. And there are forces in play you can't see with your eyes. And they are good teachers, the Bible says. They will teach you things that sound true, but they're lies. And they'll lead you off of a course of right into wrong. No other gods. There's one God. His name is Jesus. So don't worship other gods. Now, there'll be a time to investigate all the intricacies of the wise and hows, but instruct them. Christian home, the community of the kingdom. Inside this community, children, honor your father and your mothers and obey them that it may go well with you and you inherit the kingdom. What's at stake for us children is the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. Because if we won't submit to our parents here, why would we submit to Jesus Christ in the eternal kingdom? Fathers, let's not provoke our children to anger, passively allowing the rebellion to take root. But let's actively, positively instruct them in the disciplines and the instructions of Jesus Christ and His kingdom. And as a church in the community of the kingdom, this is what I believe. Um, 
think the kingdom works better than the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness has produced the need for us to be able to have a home that is an outpost of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of Jesus Christ has healing, supernatural and practical, to fix those things. And as a community of the kingdom, because God has been so good to provide the cure, church, we worship Him. Because there are no other gods. Everybody worships. The question is, what is the object of their worship? What's the object of your worship? Inside the community of the kingdom, the object of our worship is Jesus Christ. You know because we say it every week. Psalm 147, 1, praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. So inside the community of the kingdom, we do life like this as a family and we worship. One of the beautiful things I like about Radical Kids is every few weeks, you notice we have the third through fifth grade in here. That's on purpose. Because you know where they're going to learn to worship? By watching you, Dad. So, Dad, don't fail to instruct. Worship. It is good and fitting and pleasant to praise our God. So, church... Can we do that together? Let me pray. Father, we give thanks to you for the powerful, powerful gospel that rips us out of the kingdom of darkness and puts us in the kingdom of your beloved Son. And so we say thank you for that powerful gospel. And today we just, uh, we lean hard on the good news because all of us, me, I'm chief sinner in this room and, and I am, I'm chief failure in this room. And so Lord, um, never, man, I don't have anything but you to teach me. And so Lord, we all come leaning hard on Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, you be our counselor and teacher and helper. Help us to be and do these things inside the kingdom. Um, powerfully, continually bring your kingdom to bear in this fellowship and fellowships across Roman Floyd County. Lord Jesus, may your rule spread and increase. Father, I pray now that Holy Spirit, you would do a work of counseling for us dads where we fail, that we would not allow our failures to conquer us, but you would lift us up over them and help us to learn and move forward. Lord, don't let any failure on our part keep us from doing what you have called us to do. So help us to, to man up and go forward and move forward and do what's right. Or pray for our children. Grown ones and little ones. Lord, that you would rescue them. That you would birth them anew into the kingdom of your Son. Holy Spirit, would you not let them rest, but would you bring them to a place of seeing and savoring Jesus Christ and being rescued from the rebellion. Lord, cause your light to drive away darkness in their souls. And produce a peace in kingdom homes that is rich and thick and palpable. We lean on you for that. We, don't, we can't do it. We need you to do that. We need to be your hands and feet, so help us to do it.